0: At Abbey Church. <laughs> so the bad news is I'm this comfortable it might go on a long time. <laughs> the good news is my feet, my foot starts turning blue after a little while so I will stop um, probably quite quickly. But thank you for allowing me to preach sitting down. I've never preached sitting down either. It's kind of a strange feeling. Um, but I suppose it's the first time for everything. Um, yeah, just to clarify things, it, I was being daft uh, a couple of weeks ago at the youth day away. They'd all gone home, and I thought, well, now a chance to have a leap across a ditch that had a rope hanging. You're supposed to just grab it and swing across, but it was in the middle, so I thought it'd be a lot more fun to leap across and grab it. And it sort of went wrong at the grabbing part, and uh, the next thing I knew I was in this muddy, stinky ditch. Somehow I'd crashed against the wall and tried to hop out looking like nothing had happened. <laughs> Got about five steps and collapsed because my Achilles is basically ruptured, and I have no... Yeah, it's, so I'm in plaster for a while, and' uh, I'm hopping around everywhere and getting called "hop along." <laughs> so thanks for your prayers and your sympathy, Darren. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, get into the passage we're looking at. Oh, well, I did I just wanted to say something because sitting here, I am a TC.K. I am one of those children that somebody flew all over the world to teach in a missionary boarding school. Probably explains a lot of troubles in me, but anyway, I would just like to commend what Hannah is doing. Uh, teachers like her meant I did get an education. If you say, why didn't you go to the local African school? Well, in certain parts, particularly rural parts, you would end up hoeing the field for the teacher and not learning much. So my parents felt they, they wanted to put me in a boarding school, and somebody came and taught her. So it's a very valuable work she's doing, and we need to pray for her in that, because at times you kind of can feel, well, a teacher's not a real missionary, she's not out there with the natives, if you like, but their work is vital because parents care about their children's education, so I'm sure many of you can relate. So I, I just wanted to take a minute to commend what she's doing and, and say keep praying for her, keep supporting her. So we're, we're still in Luke, um, we're in Luke chapter 10, I'll just read the, the few verses we're looking at, just five verses. And it's the well-known story of Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary. So it's Luke 10, uh, verse 38. I'm afraid I can't tell you what page it is in your church Bibles. 1042, I'm informed. So I'll read it, and let's listen. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. If you like a very busy chapter, we have a short story about the opposite of being busy. Um, last last week, Roger took us through oh, thank you, Aaron, the parable of the good Samaritan, and we're left with the ringing words of Jesus: "Go and do likewise. Get on with serving your neighbour. Be active, helping in the community. Anyone who's in need is your neighbour. Get on and do it." And prior to that, Roger also preached on the sending out of the seventy-two. Uh, sorry, the 70. And it was very clear that they were to be out busy working for the Lord. And so at the end of this chapter, we have this short little story about, if you like, the opposite of that, someone sitting down to listen while someone else was getting very busy. Um, And it's a well-known contrast, this idea of Martha, the the busy bee about the house, and Mary sitting there listening to Jesus. And usually, and we are going to get to this, we kind of hold up Mary as the the example of what we need to be like, and and we kind of give Martha a bit of a going over. We will do that in a minute. (laughs) But I do want to point out a couple of other things that we can miss if we just rush straight into the comparison. And the first of those is that really Martha is the one behind this hospitality. She's the driving force. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It says, as they're on their way, in verse 38, reminds us, of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 51, has set his face to Jerusalem. This is his moment, his hour has come, he's on his way to his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. But on the way, he needs points of refreshment. He needs to be able to stop and rest. And it's Martha, it says, who opened up her home. We're not really told anything about Mary. We can guess perhaps from looking in John's Gospel as well that Martha was the head of the house, maybe the parents had died. She was perhaps the older sister. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and she was the one who opened up her home. She was the one who was ministering to Jesus, saying, you need to come in and rest. And, and in John's Gospel, we get the impression that for Jesus, Mary and Martha were special friends. You know, he had his disciples they he had to put up with. He'd chosen them, didn't have much choice. He had the crowds following him, sometimes applauding, sometimes cursing. And he had the, the, the opposition from the Pharisees and the rest of them. But these were his friends, people he could just go and relax and be there. And it's very important we see that Martha and Mary were these close friends of Jesus, giving him that point of rest, if you like. Bethany, where they lived, seemed to be the point he would return to. Maybe through the three years of Jesus' ministry, he might have stayed there several times. And it was that little getaway, that retreat, where he could go, they would look after him, and he would be refreshed. And so I want to commend Martha first off. She's not, you know, the the baddie in this story. She's actually doing something very needed for Jesus and very important, providing him with this hospitality. And it says Martha opened her home to him. She welcomed him in. Now, this isn't our kind of come over for a cup of tea that we like to do in England and get out the, the biscuits. If you're a good guest, it's chocolate biscuits. And if you're not, it's the digestives this is you know middle eastern hospitality i think a little bit about american hospitality um well if you i've gone there many times and because i'm a missionary i often stay with christian families i've never met and yet the way they treat you is just like family they open the door they say there's the fridge and as an english person you're kind of thinking well you know but for a start they're huge fridges aren't they you could climb in them but they say help yourself you know i, I Still struggle to do that. If you come to my house, I'll say, what do you want? And I'll get it. But, you know, there's the fridge stacked with all kinds of stuff. Help yourself. Need to go somewhere? Oh, yeah, just borrow the car. It's right there in the driveway. You know, probably two or three extra cars, but here's the key. And off you go. There's, there's that sense of just welcoming you in. And in the Middle East, it's even more strongly. Jesus was going to be the honored guest. Je- Mary didn't just sort of say, come over, have a break. This was, come, we've got a special room prepared for you. You're going to have a, an amazing meal cooked specially for you. You are the honored guest. And so th- this is real hospitality, a real ministry to Jesus. And Martha was the one driving it. We, we can't forget that before we start kicking her a bit. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. The second thing I want to point out that we can rush by if we jump into comparing them is this idea of Mary taking on the position of a disciple. In verse 39 it says, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now we know from that that time and from other references in the Bible that when you sat at someone's feet, you were effectively becoming their disciple. Paul says he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the respected rabbi in Jerusalem, and learnt from him. And so Mary is taking on this role of a disciple sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And although we might not think much of it today, back then that would have been kind of a, a paradigm-breaking moment. What is this woman doing, coming and putting herself in the place of a disciple? That is a man's realm in that time where Jesus was. The, the women, um, although not in the Old Testament, they were highly valued there. Often you see, read stories where the woman is the heroine. She's the one God uses. In the period between the Testaments, The position of women in Judaism had been kind of denigrated to to quite a, a big extent. They were quite negatively viewed and had, although they were the mothers of the home and they're honored in that sense, they had no religious value, if you like, nothing to offer spiritually. A woman's place was the home, the men were the teachers, the rabbis getting on with the important spiritual stuff. And so what Mary did very bravely was to come and put herself at Jesus' feet. Now, in the story we don't hear about the disciples but we can imagine that some would have come in with Jesus and I'm sure they would have been giving her black looks. What is this woman doing here among us, us important disciples? You can read in some of the intertestamental literature um, a very learned person called Ben Sirah who writes kind of a, a, a commentary on Proverbs. Unfortunately he gets to the end and he's obviously maybe had bad lunch from his wife. He says, from garments come the moth and a woman's spite out of a woman. Don't sit down with a woman. Women brings shame and disgrace. Uh, and that was the kind of flavor of how women were viewed in a, in a religious sense at least. And I'm sure you, you may have heard of the Orthodox liturgy, that a, a good Jewish Orthodox person every morning will wake up and say, God, I thank you I'm a Jew, thank you I'm not a Gentile, thank you I'm not a woman. Um, I occasionally feel that way at a motorway services when you go to the toilet and there's a long line coming out of the ladies but you can just nip in. That, that disappears when you go in and see the state of it but this was a, a prayer and this is still a prayer that many orthodox Jewish men pray. Thank God I am not a woman. Um, and so it's a cultural paradigm that women <clears throat> do not have anything to offer in a religious sense. And, and Mary smashes that uh, you know, she hits it for six she comes in and says I am a disciple and Jesus validates her in fact when Martha comes in and says you know, come on get her back in the kitchen Jesus says no it's not going to be taken away from her she is a disciple and as you read through Luke's gospel you see that Luke takes great pains throughout his gospel to emphasize the role of women he has women accompanying Jesus Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 that's not found in any other gospel he tells parables that involve women. And when you compare it with similar parables of the time, they're nearly always with men as the heroes. Whereas Jesus has the widow, um, the the lady who searches and finds the lost coin. He he tells the story about the the widow who put in the widow's might and compares her to the rich men, the great religious ones, and says, actually, she's the one that God is impressed with right now. And later on in, in, in Luke, we find that, in, in Acts Tabitha or Dorcas is called a female disciple so Luke in his two story, in his two in his gospel and Acts is quite sort of signals the importance of the position of women for Jesus they were not just okay the homemakers or whatever they were also disciples and I think as a, as a church I'm not going to get into debates of women in leadership women in teaching or whatever but I want to emphasize this As a woman, you're first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. And we need to recognize that as a church. We can have stereotypes. Perhaps even we do it unwittingly. The women will prepare the lunches and the men will do this or that. And there's nothing wrong because we are different sexes and we understand what's going on. But it's very easy for that to come across as women know your place. Kind of a, a Harry Enfield sketch, if you've seen that. And yet Jesus is saying, no, woman. Take your place as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I value you and I will not take that away from you. You are my disciple. And so I just wanted to bring that in this moment that Mary breaks this this cultural paradigm and Jesus validates her in that. Women are Jesus' disciple. Well, let's look a bit at this contrast, Martha and Mary. When we read the story Sometimes preachers like to make it kind of a, a personality thing. We have two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha, the older sister, we can put Martha as the doing one, Mary as the being person. Martha is active, Mary is contemplative. Martha gets on with the work, Mary is interested in the word. Martha is serving God, Mary is seeking the presence of God. Martha is about responsibility, Mary is about relationship. Martha has a full schedule. Mary has a full heart. And it's very easy to, to make that contrast a personality thing. And it, it's, we do have Martha tendencies and people who are like that, and there are Mary tendencies. And I just sort of question, tell the person next to you, hello, I am Mary. Hello, I am Martha. Who are you going to be? Just one minute. Tell the person next to you, are you Mary or are you Martha? And if you're a bloke, you can change it to Matthew and uh, Mark if you want, if that's a struggle. (laughs) I, I was hearing a lot of Martha's. Did anyone say they were Mary, by the way? Are there any Marys in here? Yeah, good, well done, two or three of you. We'll get mad at you later for not doing anything. Now, come on, in this passage, who do you sympathize with? There is Martha inviting Jesus, the rabbi in, the important Messiah, doing her best to do a great job, and what's her sister doing? Sitting there like a lemon, not doing a thing. Now, when I was discussing this passage earlier with my wife, she was like, heck yeah, Martha, come on Mary. You know, she was on Martha's side, and perhaps you are too. What, you know, this a lot of people seem to kind of have a merry lifestyle just to get out of, oh yes, I'm meditating and can't possibly help you put out the chairs. Um, this is not what's going on, but it's our, our tendency to see it a little bit like that. So I really want to look at Martha and try and understand what is going on, because generally in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, service is a good thing. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and he's just left us with that go and do likewise, get on with it. Go and do things. And yet here it seems like he's throwing it upside down and saying, actually, let's all just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. So what is going on with Martha? Why does Jesus have these words for her? And let's let's just read in verse 40 and 41. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In the ESV it says Martha was distracted with much serving. I prefer that translation because distracted with preparations Kind of sounds like she was busily away in the kitchen just, you know, doing her British bake-off or something to get everything ready, but distracted with much serving tells us that she was serving, so she was probably cooking, she was probably coming out, bringing drinks to the disciples, serving them, serving Jesus, meeting everyone's need, and it's, it's not just about being hidden away somewhere. kind of reminds me of meals with my in-laws in Spain, um, maybe on a Sunday we'd go there for lunch and... Natasha's mum would be busy in the kitchen chopping everything up, making a paella or some other Spanish thing. And because it's Spain, you sort of eat around three o'clock, maybe, if you're lucky. And sort of one thirty, the stomach's rumbling, and her dad would sort of sort of amble into the kitchen and say, shall we make some tapas? In other words, Graham and I are hungry, why don't you bring us out some tapas? He's a good Mexican, can get away with it. I can't, I'd get um, blasted away. But uh, it's that kind of sense of Come and serve us. And and Martha is doing that. She's busy with much serving. She is running around like a headless chicken. She's got all the food to prepare. She's running out, bringing drinks, serving this way and that, and she's just going crazy outwardly. It tells us that she's just running around, frantic. But when we see what Jesus says to her in verse 41, we see that inwardly there's also something going on. Jesus tells her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and upset about many things. And when we we look at what he's saying is, inwardly, she was also in a state of worry. And that worry and anxiety is what Jesus tells us in the Gospels, earlier in Luke with the parable of the sower. It's that worry, that anxiety that chokes your spiritual life. Later on, he'll tell them, don't worry about life, food, drink, clothes. That weighs you down, is his teaching later on in the Gospel. And so it's it's more than just, will Jesus like my food? There's something going on in Martha to where she is completely overwhelmed and internally, 19 to the dozen as well, stressed, upset, and she's not trusting Jesus. She's lost her trust. The, The opposite of worry in the Gospels is trust. She's more than just not doing a good meal. There's something going on inside. She does not trust Jesus enough to simply hang out with him. She's got to do the best meal for him first. She's troubled, it says. About, Jesus says you're troubled about many things. The word he uses is the same word that's later on in the gospel. Is talking about crowds in a riot in, in Luke and in Acts. It's a state of internal uproar. She is literally stewing in the kitchen and not just the apples. She's running around juggling responsibilities and it's getting away inside her, not just outwardly. And then when we see what Martha says, we can see where all this ends up. Martha says, Lord, don't you care? Now, it's perhaps a normal reaction, Lord, don't you care? But when we think about it, she's complaining to Jesus because no one is helping her. She's calling him Lord, and if he really is Lord, of course he cares. She's complaining she's been left alone in the kitchen to the one who's going to be left alone on the cross. A little bit of perspective is needed in Martha's life. And when we serve, it needs to be with that same question, that same perspective. Everything we do may seem overwhelming, may seem a lot, but when we compare it to Christ's service, we can't, even, we can't complain anymore. And Martha had lost sight of who Jesus was. She'd got so busy that she'd forgotten who she was serving. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister can not even say Mary, has left me alone, left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. She'd become dismissive of of that lazy Mary, as we do when we get running around with something and see someone else not helping us. She's doing nothing, I'm doing everything. She becomes very inward looking, Lord, it's all about me, I'm I'm left alone. And she becomes very self-righteous and resentful. Why am I doing all the work and she's doing nothing? And it takes her to complain to Jesus, dismissing herself, her sister, telling Jesus what to do. Lord, tell her to come and help me in the kitchen. So Martha has got so far on in her inward uproar, in her outward running around, that she dismisses anyone who's not helping her. And she's very much, I'm the only one left serving God. And I think we can get like that in our projects, or our ministries Lord, I'm doing this and nobody else is helping. Tell someone to come and do this. This is not fair. And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not about what they're not doing. It's about you. And that's how we see Jesus' loving but insightful response. I think if I were Jesus there, I would just say, you know what? You're serving me. Deal with it. I'm the Lord. Just get on with it. If you're going to serve me, I'm Jesus. Get on with it. What are you complaining about? And later on he tells a parable where he says, you know, the servant comes home and the master doesn't say, have a seat, let me serve you something. He says, now bring me my supper. We have no right to complain when we're serving God. That's black and white. We feel it because we're human, but that's, that's the truth of it. And yet Jesus doesn't do that response. He doesn't crush her and knock her on the head. In fact, he says in a very loving way, Martha, Martha, the same way he talks to Peter when Peter is having that, I'll never deny you. Peter doesn't say, oh yeah, you joke. You'll be denying me. He says, Peter, Peter. And maybe I'm reading into it, but I can feel the love coming through that. It's not Martha, Martha. It's Martha, Martha. There's love there. Jesus is going to tell her something important, but it's done with love. And she says, you, he says, you are worried and troubled about many things. He doesn't even talk about what Mary's doing at that point. You, let's deal with you. It's your heart attitudes that are wrong, as we've just been seeing. And I think very often service, our service for God, is a test not just in how we do the service, but in how we view those who don't help us, how we view those who are not getting on board, how we view the professional Marys who are sitting there meditating while we're getting steam coming out of our head. That's part of the test, and that's what Jesus makes clear here. Martha, Martha. This is about what's going on in your heart. Trust me. And I don't think Jesus would have minded if Martha had taken off her apron, come and sat there and said, you know what? Stuff the meal. It would have been okay. And so Martha had got so distracted with all the things she was doing, she had forgot who her guest was. She was so busy doing something for Jesus, she forgot to be with him. And... I think Jesus rebukes her in a very kind way as well. No doubt in, in the Middle Eastern custom, the special guest was going to be given the best portion. Now in English, you know, when you, when you, in England, when we invite someone over, a few people, we make sure we all have equal sizes of portions. It's not, it's not polite to give someone a big huge plate. But, but there it was the polite thing to do. The honored guest had the, the desperate Dan big pie, the, the full plate. And the rest of you just put up with what was left. And Martha, no doubt, got that special portion for Jesus reserved in in the corner, ready to bring out to him. And, And Jesus says, you know what, Martha? Mary already has the good portion. She's got it, and it won't be taken away from her. And I think that must have spoken to Martha's heart in a way that outwardly we might not see, but inwardly would have really struck home. The best portion I was giving to Jesus Mary already has because she sat at my feet, sat at Jesus' feet. And I think we need to stop and listen. You Martha's here today, is that taking you to distraction, to worry? Is that taking you to dutifully do up everything, sign up for every activity going? Are you feeling alone and resentful because no one's helping you? Are you Martha? Or maybe do you just have a little bit of Martha in you? Take a moment to stop and hear his voice, not condemning, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried, you are troubled with many things. But there's only one thing that's really needed. And that's what I want to look at now, the one thing needed that Jesus says. Only one thing is needed, verse 42. Mary has chosen the good part, says in the ESV, which is a bit closer, And it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion. And what Jesus is saying is that being with me, seeking me, is the priority. Not your frantic service. There is the one thing and it is not your frantic running around serving me. The good portion is not what we can do for Jesus, but Jesus himself. The psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. One thing I ask of the Lord. The one thing is God's presence. And what I notice in this passage is, you know, we can, we can maybe say it's personalities. You know, there's the Mary getting on with things, the Martha contemplating. But Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better. Maybe Mary wasn't like that at all. It was a deliberate choice. She had to go and choose to sit at Jesus' feet. And we've seen that probably cost her a lot of face and respect. She would have been frowned upon as she did that. It cost her something, but she made that choice. And it's a choice, a deliberate choice to make God's presence the one thing, the number one thing. Um, When I did this, Mike came and said, Oh, God is slowing you down. You've got lots of time to seek God. Well, I don't feel like seeking God, to be honest, lying in bed with my foot up. It's, it's, it's got to be a choice, just as much as when I'm running around on the football field or serving God in mission, as when I'm lying on bed with my foot up. If I don't choose to do it, I will wither my time away on Facebook or reading a book or whatever, because that distracts me from the pain and numbs me from my foolishness. It's got to be a choice. You have to make a choice that... God's presence, God will be that one thing. And, and I felt very challenged preparing this, saying, how on earth can I preach this when I don't feel like making that choice most days? It's not a natural thing. And yet that's what Mary did. No matter the cost, no matter the social barriers she crossed, she chose to go and sit at the feet of the Lord, to listen to him. And so there's no doubt many times we are consumed with doing, serving In our Martha mode. But we need to remember that one thing. That one thing that won't be taken away from us. Some of our service. Maybe even a lot of the services. Our service that we do for the Lord. Will go up in smoke. He knows the hidden motives. He knows what's really going on. And it will be tested by fire. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. But there's one thing that won't be taken away. And that is the time. The focus we put on God himself. That one thing. Now, for all you Marthas out there, don't suddenly add a quiet time to your to-do list. Along with crash mothers and toddlers, ladies coffee, home group, set up, Sunday school, home group. Don't add a 10-hour quiet time because you need to be like Mary. Sometimes you just need to stop the one, other things to focus on the one thing. If keeping things going is keeping you from God, then stop. Now, I know there's moments and seasons. The last couple of weeks, um, Natasha would have loved to have stuck her feet up and become Mary, but the idiot of her husband is pretty much preventing that from happening. I can't even bring myself food, drink. It's kind of great, but it's not for her. She has to bring me up the food, you know, and all the rest of it. I'm getting a little bit better now. I can hobble around, and if I fill the coffee cup halfway, I don't spill all of it on the way hopping. But there's times of life where you simply cannot have the luxury of sitting back and doing nothing. I saw Gordon there earlier with both children, trying to hold them up in the service. And, you know, there's times where there are many things you're preoccupied with. But don't forget the one thing. Keep coming back to that one thing. Now, before all the elders get worried that everyone's going to go home and resign from all the church programs, what is Jesus saying? Should we not serve him? Should we not serve others? Of course not. We've seen this is in the context of go and do likewise. We still need to serve, but it's just not like Martha, distracted, hurried, rushed, resentful, complaining. It's serving, if you like, it's having the heart of Martha with the hands, the heart of Mary with the hands of Martha. Sit at the feet of Jesus first and then serve. Learn that Sabbath principle of working from a place of rest. It's interesting that the story begins with the Messiah needing a rest and stopping off on the road to Jerusalem. And we need that same understanding. We need to rest. We need to focus on God. We need to learn those principles of Sabbath rest. We don't have time to really dig into that today, but let's learn to seek first like Mary and serve second like Martha. Let's worship first like Mary and serve second like Martha. Let's have Mary's heart, Martha's hands. One writer describes it as being contemplative activists. Serving, if you like, from grace and trust, not duty and stress to win approval as Mary was doing. So I think there's, there's a lot we can learn from Martha. We're all given that kind of drive you need to get be doing things, serving, serving, the, serving your neighbor, serving one another getting involved in church. But don't let those many things distract you from the one thing that won't be taken away from you. So concluding, we've commended Martha for her hospitality and ministry to Jesus. We've commended Mary for her courage and determination as a woman to be recognized as a disciple. But I think above all today, for all of us with a bit of Martha in us or completely Martha's, we're rebuked lovingly by Jesus to stop and make the one thing the one thing. Martha, Martha, let's hear his invitation. Let's sit at his feet as his disciple. And I'd like to close with a prayer that I, f- I found in a book. I haven't written it, but it, it says this. Holy One, there is something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, Bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do. And I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly I forget what I'm about or why. God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's hear him calling us, Martha, Martha, to the one thing.